Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, welcome everyone to today's episode. On today's episode, I interview the founder and executive director of Rescue Pack, who specialize in Central Texas Canine Rescue. She's also the co-founder of the health and wellness brand Corgenics, where she serves as their clinical nutritionist. Welcome to the winner's circle, Ashley Clements. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have you on. And there's still a lot of chaos going on in the world. Um, and that's not what this, this show is about. It's a really positive, uplifting, inspiring show. Um, and the first question is as such. So yeah. what do you love about your world right now, Ashley? About my world? Um... What do I love about my world? I mean, there's so much that that I uh, that I get to welcome into my world that I love. So I think just kind of knowing what I love in general, what I care about, um, that's where I keep my focus. So it's uh, that's like what I'm surrounded by. So surrounded by dogs that needed rescuing. Um, so instead of having to just kind of like view the sad stories, I get to be part of like the rescue mission and watch like the recovery, which is so much better. It's definitely more uplifting even though it's really hard, um, it's, it's a good feeling to know that I'm part of what I wish I was seeing, you know? So if I see like a picture of an injured animal, I know I don't have to sit back and just, you know, wish that somebody goes out and helps it. I get to be that person who, who picks it up, helps it. Um, same thing with, with the nutrition. It's uh, it's nice to be surrounded by people who care about the same thing that I care about. Um, so I think that I would say like right now, what I really love about my world is my community and all of the dogs that I get to keep on helping. So I'm still doing everything that I love, which is nice. Not a lot has changed on that front for me. Mm -hmm. So before we get in more to Rescue Pack and Corgenics, I want to learn more about you. And just as both those organizations have missions and as do all companies, um, we as humans, I believe, ought to be aware of our mission. And that's our overarching North Star that guides us through everything we do, whether that be personal or professional. So, and it's always changing, but right here, right now, what do you feel your mission here in this reality plane is, Ashley? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, I feel like, like where it started too, um, when I was like really, I feel pretty young. So I was like 12 when I realized that, there's a lot that happens to animals for our sake. Um, so, you know, like with the meat industry, dairy industry, there's a lot of abuse. And, and I had picked up a PETA pamphlet on a school trip one day and I was horrified by that. And I think that's when I became like really aware of like animal suffering. Um, so, um, so I think at that point that when I was 12, like that became part of my mission was, you know, like working towards ending that. And I did that by becoming vegetarian, which was kind of hard uh, because where I lived, everybody ate meat as like a staple food. Like it was what you ate at every meal. So it was difficult to kind of stay on track with that. But I, I stuck to it because I knew, I knew that was something that I needed to be part of was, you know, changing what I saw that really, again, horrified me. Um, but in that process, I, I learned that or found that I just started to feel better and better and get less I wasn't as sick as frequently because I experienced illness a lot as a child. So it was like infection after infection. And, um, and so when I stopped eating meat and I, you know, included more vegetables, a, a lot in my world changed. And, and then I think that's when I became really aware of the people around me and how it was so normal to feel sick all the time and to feel like tired or sad. And like, that was just normal stuff. And when my normal started to change, I would, I think that's when I recognize and realize that that's also part of my mission is changing what that normal is for a lot of people. And, and it's really through experience and education, which I was just really lucky to have stumbled upon something that sparks something inside for me. 
um, and then initiated that change. But um, but I think if if so many people go unexposed to something that will spark or ignite something in them, then they stick to that normal, which again, I think for a lot of people is um, is unfortunately like less than what it could be. You know, like it could be such a great life experience and a lot of people have to settle and they don't even realize that they're settling. So, so my mission, that's, that's my mission is, you know, improving the lives of both animals and people at the same time. And, and a really, I think, interesting part of that is just almost just making it more simple, you know, like with, with human connection, animal connection, just the, the connection and bonding, and then just simplifying life, you know, in general, like not being so busy, which I still am guilty of every now and then, but I really tried to like bring that back. Um, you know, keeping keeping food simple, keeping our schedule as simple as possible. Like if we don't have to add, you know, the extra two meetings, don't do that if it's not essential, right? Because then that just makes us tired and stressed. And so I think it's, yeah, I think that coming back to some simplicity and a lot of things really helps improve the lives of both animals and people. And that's, that's I would say, my mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And you're the first nutritionist or we had on, I've had on this show or anyone really with anything related to food. So I want to get like kind of into that right, right off the bat. You talked yeah. about how you became a vegetarian um, at the mm -hmm. age of 12. Um, and I don't know if that has transitioned as you like, you're obviously much older than 12 now. Um, so just yeah. wh what does your nutrition look like today? And you mentioned like a principle is keeping it simple. So what is what is your um, personal nutrition and how do you help clients with nutrition? What are the core foundations you believe is important in terms of a healthy nutrition? Yeah, so I, there's definitely been a lot of evolution in my own diet. So as a 12 year old, I don't, I don't know a whole bunch about it right? or like have a really good hold on where to start, except like, I know I don't want to be part of like the suffering. So it became like a hobby for me where I was just like kind of dabbling in like articles and books and just like picking out new things and trying new things. Um, but it really took, it took years for me. Uh, so, so again, a lot of evolution. Um, I did veganism for one year, which was difficult. That was difficult because there wasn't a lot of education behind that. It was not, okay. This is something else I can try. I was pescatarian for a while, ate poultry for a while. Um, I even tried, like, I think it was like when I was 22, I tried going back to like even red meat and seeing what that felt like. And that didn't really suit my body. So I think I've come to a place where I believe it's important to really listen and, and be more intuitive with, which is also a whole practice to learn, by the way. Um, but to kind of listen and, and really experience and feel what food is like when it is in your body. Is it nourishing or is it, you know, more of a distraction? Is it, is it more of a challenge for the body and kind of like a setback? So, um, so where I am now, um, what I believe is like a, a really like healthy diet for let's say most and myself would be like a primarily plant-based diet. So it's super rare that I would have any kind of like animal product, um, maybe like once or twice a month, we might eat some fish. That's both Sean and I at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, plant-based uh, is really kind of the way we go. We try to stick with the, we, we do a mixture actually of like raw and cooked because you get a lot of variance in, in nutrition quality of food, depending on whether it's cooked or whether it's raw. So there's a, there's a lot that varies, um, which is why I think in general, a really good rule of thumb is just to kind of like mix it up and keep it uh, or keep some variety in the diet. So lots of different colors, you know, again, mix uh, raw or cooked. Um, I think that there are some people who really thrive on more animal protein, um, but I also think there's a way to prepare and source animal protein to again, get the op, like your, your most nutritional value from the food. Um, so it, I think for anybody else, what you would have to do is take a good hard look at like health history, current health status, and then um, kind of use that as a way to begin to navigate. But like I said, for me, it took years and years to kind of evolve to where I'm at right now. And what works really well for me, it's the same for anybody else. So what I would tell a client is here's where we're starting. We're looking at, again, your health history and where you are now, what food feels like for you now. And we're going to make some adjustments here. 
And we're gonna continue to adjust as we go and explore like new ways of eating because it's like, um, it's kind of like with dating, right? Like you can't just know what you want in a person. Like the first time you go on a date, you have to like date different people and know more about different types of people before you know exactly like what you're looking for, what feels right for you, you know, who, what kind of person is like your, your better kind of person, right? I, th I think it's the same thing with like eating and trying different diets that you explore a whole bunch of different things and you, pay really close attention to see, you know, how does that feel in my body? Like, what is my energy? Like, what is my digestion like? Um, because at that point we, again, make more tweaks or we stick to this one thing that, you know, feels really good and, you know, helps us with energy, like mental clarity, like easy digestion, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I have so many, I'm so curious about uh, like nutrition. It's something that I'm really like interested in. And I've been like experimenting myself like over the last like two decades probably I'd say I'm just like what works best for me and the way I eat right now is similar to you and Sean it's primarily plant-based and like occasionally seafood occasionally but it's generally plant-based what are some good plant-based proteins um, that you found work for you or that you'd I recommend yeah, so we we incorporate a lot of nuts and seeds in our diet. Um, that's what we do. I, we don't do a ton of legumes, but um, we really stick to things that are sprouted, so it's better easily digested. Um, I would say our primary source of protein is probably nuts and seeds, and then we do like things like tempeh. Um, sometimes we do like organic soy. Uh, so I don't find, I don't believe that there's a lot of uh, issues with soy as a food if it's organic and um, even again if it's like fermented like in tempeh or in miso that's even better um, what else we do mushrooms is another source for us and and I think that's kind of where we're at right now every now and then we'll do a protein powder so if there's like an extra call for extra protein for some reason we need more like we're maybe lifting more then we do like a pea protein just to kind of supplement a little bit more um just for the sake of you know muscle synthesis but but that's kind of what we do yeah what about mm. you what about me what do you mean what are my favorite like, um, protein sources yeah. egg eggs like eggs like i do eat eggs so i don't know if that do you guys eat eggs not at the moment we have we have I feel like that's my, my biggest protein source, eggs. I really like uh, macadamia nuts, cashews for my, for my nuts. What, what, like, what are your guys' favorite nuts and seeds? So we're a big, big fan of flaxseed, chia seed, um, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds are awesome because they're one of the best, or they, they have a really, um, or they're rich in zinc, which is an important mineral for a bunch of different things. But seeds in general just have a ton of minerals um, and nutrients in them. So so I would say those, those are like the top, like we try to always include those would be the flax, the chia, sunflower and pumpkin. Um, and then for, for nuts, I would, would probably more like walnuts, pecans and almonds, not, not necessarily because I feel like we need them, but the, that's just another inclusion because we like them. Um, but I think that's where we're at with that. Another thing that you mentioned that like I'm becoming more and more interested in, and I'm, I've been supplementing into my like daily regime is just mushrooms. And so I've been taking cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, and I just ordered um, this new five defenders from this company called Real Mushrooms. And it has a blend of five, five different mushrooms in there, um, including chaga, what um, reishi again, and a couple more, I can't think of them off the top of my head. But talk, talk to me about mushrooms and what role that plays in your diet. Yeah, so so I'll say that I don't, we do eat mushrooms, but we, it's probably not like our heaviest, like we don't, or I personally don't do that a lot. I do have a, a like a slight sensitivity to mushrooms. So I, I kind of keep that one limited, but I do include them kind of like on a rotational basis. Um, and that's because like with any kind of food sensitivity, that doesn't ever mean you have to exclude the food. It just means you want to kind of be strategic about like how often and when you eat that. Um, but I would say I probably wouldn't be like your better, your better resource for like all things mushrooms, just because I, I, I use that mostly as a source of, again, some protein, some vitamin D, um, but, but not, yeah. not so much more than that. 
No, that's fair. But it brought us into the conversation of food sensitivities. So like that's something that's really applicable to everyone. So could you talk to us about a bit more about food sensitivities and like what that is and how do we find out what foods we are sensitive to? Yeah, that's a hard one too, because we eat so many different foods. So I think one of the best ways to find out what you're, or if you are sensitive to a certain food item would be to utilize like an elimination diet, which is a really strict diet, which is again, why it's difficult. It's challenging. It would be maybe at the very, very minimum, like two weeks, but hopefully like more like a four week period in which you eliminate most common allergies or food allergens. And so a food sensitivity compared to a food allergy is different in that it does create a different response. So it's not an immediate response. So like if I were allergic to peanuts and I ate a peanut, then I would feel that automatically. That would be pretty like immediate. But with a food sensitivity, that actually could show up days later. So I wouldn't even know that, you know, like if I, again, if I ate it today and I reacted you know, with some kind of low grade inflammation a, a day or two later, I wouldn't, it would be hard for me to, to know, oh, that was because of like the peanut that I ate, you know, because that it's such a delayed response. And I think because it is such a, usually it's such a subtle response. We, and, and again, delay that we don't recognize it. So we continue to eat these foods. Um, and then we create this like, uh, like a growing kind of inflammation that, that creates like um I was some kind like a, a, a kind of dysfunction in the body that we start to sense as normal when it's not but when you do use an elimination diet and you remove a lot of those foods that might be problematic you're really allowing the body to reset and heal up so then when you do finally reintroduce them one at a time you're so much more sensitive to if that is if that has some kind of response or reaction um because I, I don't know a good analogy for that, but if you're so used to like, let's say, hmm, how, how would I put that? Like when you're just really used to something, right? You don't really think about it a lot. Like you can take a yeah. lot of that, right? It's just not at the forefront of your thinking. But again, when it's eliminated for a while, when it's gone and you finally get it back, kind of like with when, you, when you're sick and then you get your health back, like, you're like, oh my gosh, like that's really significant. And it, it's difference, but it, I think I think it's just like that when your gut finally has a chance to heal, it becomes so much more sensitive to those things that it's been exposed to for so long um, that that wasn't allowing that and, and allowing optimal digestion. So you can also get blood tests. So you can get like a food sensitivity test that will tell you if you have a certain, like a response to certain foods, whether it be allergy or just a food sensitivity. And then from there, you can take those results and create like, like a, like a rotation kind of diet where, you know, you rotate those foods every four days or so that way, you know, you're not, you're not impairing digestion necessarily, but you don't also have to like completely eliminate those foods. But those, those tests aren't always the most accurate because that depends on, you know, how, heavy that food is in your diet currently, um, it can depend on a few different things. So I wouldn't completely rely on like a blood test, even though it is the easier way to, to figure that out um, or to, to learn a little bit about, you know, what you might be responsive to. I think the elimination diet is like probably the best go-to and it's nice to do it in a group. It's much easier if you do it with a group of people because <laughs> it's one of, again, it's a little challenging because it's, it's pretty restrictive. Mm -hmm. So that brought us to the topic of inflammation. Can you get more into that and explain uh, what inflammation is and how we could reduce inflammation in our bodies with nutrition and what are some um, of the foundational ways you recommended doing so? Yeah. So inflammation happens, um, like that's a normal process, right? So like if I were to like hit my elbow and then it were to throb and, you know, become red, that's my body's like normal way of saying, um, Hey, something's wrong. Pay attention. That's the inflammatory response. And so we need that so that we always have the signal that there is something that we need to tend to when that happens. Um, now, if that happens on a regular basis and it becomes chronic instead of acute, then we sometimes again get to that point where we don't even recognize that it's a thing. It's like, I'm so used to the throbbing and it's always there that it's just like normal for me at this point, right? Um, well, so that can happen 
because of a lot of different things. It can happen because of an injury. It can happen because of stress. It can happen. Uh, people's inflammatory levels can go up because of lack of sleep. Um, uh, environmental allergies can do that. Food allergies, food sensitivities. There's a lot of things that can drive inflammation up. And so it's really a big job for us to make sure that we know what that is for us so that we can manage that and not be overexposed to those things. Um, and then again, it's, it's, a, it's our responsibility to make sure that we sleep and manage stress because those are common for everybody. You know, those drive up inflammatory markers for a lot of people. Um, but inflammation is usually measured with, um, you can, you can feel it if you're really attuned to your body, but another way that you can know is you can get a blood test for uh, a C-reactive protein or your C-reactive protein levels or your CRP levels. And that is a protein that your liver makes um, in response to inflammation that's happening anywhere in the body. So uh, you can use that as a way to kind of like judge, you know, am I doing things right? Or should I look into, you know, things further? Should I change some things about my lifestyle? Because it really should be at the very low end. Um, but once you see like high numbers on a lab test, then you know, hey, that's kind of danger zone because inflammation is breeding ground for disease. And I would say it's also, and you would appreciate this, but our brains are incredibly um, sensitive to inflammation that occurs anywhere else, especially in the gut. So if I were to consume something that did cause a response, um, again, even if I didn't completely like notice it, there are studies that show like reaction time um, for a lot of people on tests, like speed time, all of that is impaired, even just after consuming food once that were, you know, kind of reactive to. So I think knowing that, you know, and knowing that we kind of, hopefully all of us really want to be like our best mentally, you know, like our best in terms of mood and, um, and in terms of just like, you know, our, our cognitive capacity. I think it's important to kind of manage that for that reason. But yeah, a lot of it is life. It's just lifestyle. So stress, sleep, food, um, and oh, and you know, like environmental toxins, injury, things like that. Mm -hmm. So stress, sleep, food, environmental toxins, and we'll get into that some more. Um, but we mentioned the gut biome, and this is like something that's very important for overall well-being as well. And I was talking to you before the call um, that I just was like really sick this past week. And like I'm on antibiotics right now, um, penicillin, and that pretty much is going to wipe out my gut biome. So let's talk about the gut biome, why that's important, and how could we build a strong gut flora? Yeah, I mean, that's important for so many reasons. So it's not just important for digestion, right, for breaking down food totally, and then um, breaking down food into enough particles so that we can actually absorb the nutrition from food and so that we can be comfortable during the digestive process and move on to the next thing. Um, it's important for other things like it, they produce vitamins for us. So, you know, we need it just so that we stay balanced nutritionally, because again, they make that for us. Um, they help us make neurotransmitters. So for the sake of, you know, our mental health, um, so that we feel motivated every day so that we feel satisfied and happy and, and just, um, you know, kind of driven to do anything. They're so significant to that. Um, then there's the immune response, right? So they're one of our lines of defense are a huge part of our immunity. And if we don't take care of that, um, then that really leaves us susceptible to, to infection. But there are a lot of things that impact the microbiome. So it's not just food. So uh, you can eat, um, you know, like refined food or um, like really processed food, high sugar food, and that alters the microbiome. Like you said, antibiotics also alter the microbiome because they're designed to, they're designed to go wipe out like bacteria whether it be bad or whether it be good, generally. Um, and um, like, so we said stress. Um, I mean, it, it's such a sensitive environment, I feel. And I think that you're right in, in pointing it out and the maintenance of it is so important because of all the things that it does for us. So really good ways to maintain that are to manage stress and really watch what we eat and make sure that we're eating things that support it. So things that are prebiotic, which would be the food that feeds the gut bacteria. So things like asparagus, things like leeks, um, even the green banana. So before a banana becomes super ripe and really sweet, 
uh, it has more of that resistant starch, which actually feeds the gut bacteria. So greener bananas can act as food for that bacteria, onions, garlic. Um, you can eat probiotic rich foods. So fermented foods like, uh, like kimchi, sauerkraut, those are really good ones. Um, coconut cultured yogurts, because I'm not a big fan of dairy. <laughs> and um, I mean, yeah, there, I, I would say fermented food. Miso is another fermented food that you can consume to really assist with maintaining a healthy microbiome. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, this, is, this has been so great, all this talk about nutrition so far. And these are all things that you help clients with, with Corgenics. So could you talk about um, how Corgenics came to be? And um, yeah, uh, how, how, and what do you do with Corgenics? What do you guys do with Corgenics? Which you yeah. and your husband, Sean, founded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's me and Sean. Um, and actually, when we first met, I remember, or we first started dating, like seven years ago, we were, I was working in nutrition and he was a trainer and, um, and we were, we were just talking one night about how it would be so neat if one day we were just doing this for people yeah, together. And then it was soon after that, probably just like a, a year or two after that, we had our first mutual client. Um, and, and that's kind of what it's grown into. But I think what Genix does is really focuses or what we do with Corgenics is um, we try not to just um, focus on what a healthy body looks like, because what's so what's more important than that is everything that's happening inside. Um, so while he focuses on healthy movement and sustainable, um, you know, exercises to assist that kind of healthy movement, um, I on my end would focus on you know how to use food for healthy function. So. Um, it's nice, you know, to get the end result of like a, a, a lean or, or healthy looking body, but that's always like the byproduct of the work that you put into having a functional body, like a really well functioning, functioning body. I think, um, one thing that I, you know, grew up seeing, and I know Sean has some experience with is a lot of disease in our family and, you know, cancer for him, which, you know, is heartbreaking. A lot of this is just the things that we know to be preventable. So it's a lot of suffering, you know, from people that we love. And I think a big part of why we have Corgenics is so that we can offer more people the information that they can use to share with their family and not just implement in their lives, but to help in that whole goal of reducing that amount of suffering. Because we know some amazing people who just don't know, you know, they don't know that I mean, church is a really great example. We love our we love our church group so much, but it breaks our heart when, you know, we see donuts being shared as like a, a way to build community because these are the kind of people that make our world better, the people who care about anything and other people, right? And so it's a big, it's a, it means a lot to us to be able to be part of educating them so that they are their best, so that they can go and do more of what they do to make the world better. Um, I think there's, there's so much going on that we collectively need each other to make it better and stronger. And that that's the way I think we support that is by, by helping to prevent that kind of suffering. That's so unnecessary, but it's just around us all the time. Like we're sold fast food all the time and sugar all the time, you know, and mm. it's just, that's the normal. And we really need to combat that with, again, just speaking about what we do know. So, yeah, it's. I could relate with that donut thing. It's so frustrating when you go to groups or basically any like gathering, um, whether that be a company or family. Like I have a lot of work in the brain injury community and I go to these like gatherings or meetings and they have like just sweets and like sugars and processed foods on the table, which is like the like last thing you want to consume for your brain. Um, what kind of food should companies these groups be putting on their tables for sharing, like with people, you know, like, the yeah, like easy sharing food would be what you would see. I think like at a farmer's market. Um, I think, um, I mean, I think the challenge there is that you want to make it fun and you want to make it exciting and you get such a, a quick, um, you get such a quick rush from things like sugar and, and it's an immediate gratification. Um, but I, I would, I would say that, you know, like, 
I guess that's a hard question. That's a it's a good question that you asked. Um, I think that's that's a good thing that you probably asked that because it's really getting my brain thinking about you know what would be like a better option. Um, but in my ideal world, it would be something that you know you're still kind of communal where you're sharing with people, but it would definitely be more along the lines of like vegetables, fruits, just kind of like you see at some other places. Like I, I, I know I agree with that. Like, I think that's much better than like the, what I see is like chips, cookies, like sweetened drinks, like pop. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's well, just and- he- healthier alternatives to all of that. Um, yeah, like-, like if you, if you need to have pop, like there's Zevia. So that's like Stevia, um, which is like zero calorie, like, like um, a healthy sweetener, not like, not something like aspartame, right? Um, There's just healthy alternatives to all these things. And then, yeah, um, like hummus, um, vegetable, raw vegetables, fruit, like these are all better solutions in my opinion. And it's people like you and I that are going to make this change happen. Yeah, I think those are great examples. Those are awesome, awesome examples. Um, and there, there really are alternatives to like everything. So even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't like the, the healthiest alternative, I think even making something like a switch from like a, a dairy yogurt to like a coconut yogurt makes a significant difference because of the inflammatory effect of most dairy, whether you're sensitive or not to lactose. So simple things <laughs> like that. Yeah, or or like chips made with like um, coconut oil or avocado oil versus like vegetable oil. Like right, it's like right. s- simple little switches like mm-hmm. that or donuts made with like coconut flour versus, I don't know, whatever garbage flour they make most donuts with. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's such a good point. Um, so, I mean, like there are cookies made with like seeds, you know, where there's like a lot of fiber and a lot of protein. So you're not getting a sugar spike and then a, and then a quick dip, you know, right where you need to like lift that again with something sweet again. Um, you're having you have that steadier, you know, blood sugar response. Um, I think there are, there are a ton of alternatives and it's such a new thing for a lot of people. I think, I think some of us are more aware of it because we're more intentional about it, but then others, you know, are very unaware that those alternatives exist because it's just again not something that they're they're exposed to all the time. It's it's um it's not what's on a billboard, right? Or like you said at, at the the event. It's also not what's cheap. It's always it's usually more expensive, which is a deterrent for a lot of people and a lot of people who need it the most. You know, in those lower income communities, which yeah. Is, which is also where I come from, so I know how prevalent that is. You know, and it's um it's just it's. There's so many factors that go into it, but it, it's so good to see that more and more, you know, through conversation, it's becoming a little bit more normal and those alternatives are being offered or, or at least available more. For sure. And there's always cheap, like bananas, like bananas are very cheap and they're pretty, pretty nutritious and they're pretty tasty. So like slight, like have bananas on the table, um, with yeah. have sparkling water on the table. Um, yeah. but yeah, those are really good in, in time, in time. So yeah, yeah. it's more than just nutrition. It's all about managing stress, sleep, and toxins. So let's talk about some, the fundamentals of you, um, in terms of how you manage your stress and then we'll get into sleep and then how you manage your toxins because yeah. how you do it will play into how you'd advise your clients. Right. I think. And well, so stress management techniques are going to, I think, vary from individual to individual. And one really easy way is to practice the deep breathing, which sounds like, well, we hear that all the time, right? Just take a deep breath. And I think with deep breathing, it it is something that I think you'll find challenging to actually um, work as an effective tool if it's not practiced regularly, just like it's going to be really hard to lift the heavy grocery bags if you don't, you know, practice maybe some kind of strength training regularly. I think the regular practice is really important. And that's what I tell a lot of my clients is you got to think of it just like you think of working out, you know, the deep breathing doesn't have to just be in case of emergency that should happen on a regular basis so that you're managing, you know, your, your different uh, responses. You don't always want to be like in fight or fly or go, go, go. Um, especially also if we go back to eating and how that plays a role in eating, you know, by activating that rest and digest response, 
we really assist with that digestive process and we're not really holding on to food and, you know, keeping it from fully, you know, digesting or, or eliminating itself from the body. Um, so deep breathing is what I use. Um, so that really works for me, um, perspective and, um, kind of daily reminders on, you know, how to keep my perspective on life and, and events healthy. That helps me because when I need it, it's super easy to pull out, you know, of like my toolbox. If I practice it on a daily basis, like if I'm listening to, um, like, I don't know, like I keep like audible, like every time I'm on the road, I'm listening to some kind of book that keeps me on track mentally. That way I don't like fall apart when tragedy hits, which, um, definitely happens, you know, and I think that's what keeps me, uh, together is the, the point of practice. Um, so practicing that on a regular basis. That's what I would share with most of my clients. But then, you know, in the end, they choose what works really well for them too. And I think that it's an important thing to sit and make a list of all the things that, you know, make you feel better and that are um, pretty practical in the sense of, you know, you could try it on a daily basis and it only takes a few moments and, um, and it's not going to hurt anybody, right? It's safe. It's something that's, you know, special to you. And that means something to you. So whether it's like, calling somebody, you know, speaking to somebody for, for five minutes when you need that. Um, and then having always just knowing that they know they're on standby. Um, journaling is another thing that people do that I don't personally do, but I know that it works for a lot of people. So I think making the list is important. Spending, mm -hmm. Yeah. Spending time kind of with that self-discovery, like what works for me? That's an important question for everybody to ask. Yeah, awareness is so key. And with awareness, we have our ability to wield our number one tool, and that's choice. But it starts with that awareness. Until we cultivate that awareness, well, then what can we do? So, yeah, that awareness is such a big piece. Uh, another huge piece of this conversation is sleep. What are the fundamentals for sleep? And why is sleep important? Sleep is important for a lot of things. Um, so, in sleep, uh, right, we know that that's when we let our body recover from everything that we've done in the day. It's also a time where our brain is able to clear out some of the toxins that it's accumulated throughout the day so that our brain is healthy for the next day. And so that we don't run the risk of things like Alzheimer's, you know, which is an awful um, and heartbreaking disease. Um, it's also when our body gets to detox. So our liver isn't uh, being bombarded with like all of the things that we take in throughout the day that we breathe while we're walking from place to place, you know, things that we're eating or things that we're touching instead, because we're really giving everything a break. It's when our liver really gets a chance to kind of move through a lot of the rest of what it should so that it can kind of keep your system healthy. And um, I mean, toxins just get in the way of a lot of things and we could talk more about that if you want to. But um, I think, I think, knowing that it's so essential for detoxification, both brain and body. Um, I think that is one uh, big reason why sleep is important. I think I tell this a lot to my male clients that it is when your body also produces testosterone. So um, I think that's, you know, a, a big goal. I actually, when working at a clinic, I saw and met with a lot of people who were on hormone replacement therapy and a lot of this was for low testosterone, but these people were high stress, you know, like uh, cortisol is another thing that can negatively impact testosterone. So high stress lifestyle and not enough sleep because it's just, I got so much to do and they're not prioritizing that sleep. And so then we end up in a position where we have to take exogenous hormones just to keep ourselves balanced, to keep our weight healthy, to keep our energy, you know, strong and healthy. Um, but if we were to say no to a couple of the, the unessential items, you know, on the to-do list and instead get sleep, um, that's when your body would naturally be able to, with the assist of other things like, you know, nutrition for cofactors, produce that hormone for you so that the next day you do feel energized and so that your body feels strong. And um, that's, I feel like I try to push that one on all the, the male clients because it's a really good reason to get sleep if it's going to help you make testosterone for the next day. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about toxins. Um, what toxins can we eliminate from our, like the, the general person eliminate for their, from their, for their lives to optimize their health and well-being? So a lot of, a lot of what I, I'll tell you what I care the most about um, and what I, I think I stress the most of is, is like plastics, right? And, and um, 
all of the exogenous estrogen mimicking compounds like that we that we get. And a lot of them come from plastics. So I just think plastic is something that we're constantly exposed to. Like even when we're trying to do something healthy, like like um, buy pre-made meals that come in plastic containers and then we heat them in the microwave. Well, then all of those, even if it's EPA free, there are still phthalates that mimic those estrogen-like compounds and that leaches into our food or we take a water bottle that's plastic. You know, even if it's like, a pretty, pretty water bottle, if it's plastic and you leave it in warm temperatures, then that also leaches into your water and you're drinking that. And it's in shower curtains. It's uh, those plastics are in receipt paper. You know, we touch these things. So they absorb through our skin. We consume them. And these, these compounds that mimic the hormone estrogen start to build up in the body, especially when we don't have healthy elimination, healthy digestion or detoxification. So they start to build up and they start to cause problems like weight gain or mood disruptions, right? So we feel like we're like a emotional roller coaster sometimes, or they elevate our risk for diseases. Like, I mean, a big one is cancer and hormone related cancers like ovarian cancer, uh, breast cancer, prostate cancer. And so if we did one thing, I think the one thing that I, you know, encourage before anything else is like, let's really limit our touch, touching and use of plastics just because there, there is such a big risk, you know, and the exogenous hormones though, or those, those compounds aren't just coming from plastics. They come from other things like pesticides. So it's not just that, but I think that again, because that's something we're so heavily exposed to, I like that to be the first thing that I bring, you know, to their awareness. Um, Mm -hmm. I think of first, you know, it's like, let's try glass or let's try like something like stainless steel before, before we touch plastic. No, that's a great suggestion. And I have one last question about uh, nutrition and that we didn't really touch on. And that's like, what is a balanced diet? Like how much protein, carbs, um, like, how, like how should we, how should that look for the general person? Um, like veggies, protein, carbs, fats. Yeah. So I, I, with everybody that I work with, um, unless there is like a, a very specific goal, like, they're on a ketogenic diet to manage, you know, some kind of health condition. I actually never really focus on counting things like carbs and fats because both of those are energy sources. And I think it needs to be understood that in the end, what you really need to understand is how much energy you're expending and then how much you're intaking and you're creating a balance. On top of that, you also have to be really careful with how you source all of your energy, right? Because if it's loaded with toxins or if it's really refined, you know, that's not going to do you any benefits and it's going to slow a lot down for you. But I don't really focus on counting carbs and fats. Instead, without, with those, I focus on timing of them just because insulin, your, your body is more sensitive to insulin's function earlier in the day. So that would be the better time to eat more of your carb rich meals. And then later in the day would be better to eat your, you know, like your lean fats or, or proteins. Um, when it comes to protein and fiber, I do like for those to be some kind of, of a focal point for people because protein, again, I think we only need so much of that to sustain healthy muscle. So maybe somewhere along the lines of like, you know, 0.32 grams per pound of body weight. And then you can go upwards to like 0.5 per pound of body weight. Um, if you're trying to do things like build muscle and you're working out a lot and you just, again, want to continue that muscle protein synthesis, um, process. But I think the excess of that is just one of those unnecessary things that in the end, your kidneys and your liver are going to have to help you process, but your liver is already working so hard, you know, on a daily basis, because there are just so many things again, that we're exposed to. So if you can take a load off of your, the jobs of your organs, you know, and only give yourself what you need and not do things in excess. I think that really frees up that function for everything else, you know, so that again, it's just less stress on the body. Not that it's going to cause major issues, but the less stress we place, why not? That just means that we get to spend more time focusing on again, regular detoxification or, or building muscle and, you know, all that other kind of recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, so protein, we do count. Fiber is another really important one that I like to put a number to because it's something that I think most people in my experience, um, when working with the average person, we just don't get enough of that. 
And fiber is so critical because we were talking about the microbiome, but a lot of fiber helps to feed the microbiome, right? So that's, it's food, that's how it grows, that's how it, uh, you enhance the function of that. And then it also acts as a way of kind of clearing out things that are like stuck in the, in the gut. So it's like the broom that helps to make sure that you are flushing all the important things. It's also the binder to things like extra cholesterol. So instead of allowing cholesterol or toxins or extra like the excess hormones, like estrogen to recirculate by, you know, reabsorbing into the system, when there's enough fiber, they can kind of bind and latch onto that and get fully eliminated from your system instead of recirculating and collecting elsewhere, causing other health issues. So fiber is a huge regulator for a lot of things. Um, so obviously like normal digestion and going enough right during the day. Um, but with that normal digestion is eliminating all of those things that really, again, can make us sick in the long run. So fiber mm -hmm. protein, we do try to look at energy balance, um, fats and carbs, just more about timing. And then also about like sourcing, like how are we sourcing them? Because fats are one thing if I'm sourcing fats from maybe more like animal products, right? Where it's not like the best source animal product. Well, with that, I could potentially be getting all of the toxins at that animal store because fats or toxins store themselves in fat, not in the liver, which processes the toxins. Toxins are stored in fat cells. So if I'm eating animal fat from an unhealthy mm -hmm. animal, also incorporating all of the toxins that were stored in there. So um, I usually like an easy, easy way to say it would just be more plant-based fats. It's a little bit easier, I think, in that sense, you know, organic if you can, because then you're not worried about pesticide residue, which again is an endocrine disruptor. So we don't want to mess up hormones because that again is like a whole domino effect of other issues that, that it can lead to. So, so that's, that's what I do in terms of like counting and energy balance mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. vegetables. I like fiber to come from primarily vegetables, um, things like seeds, like flax seeds, chia seeds, um, whole grains, you know, I don't think whole grain or I, I don't ever emphasize like a ton of grains, you know, in the diet, but, um, but if it's a whole grain option, I think that that's benefit. I think you can hear my dog probably. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. okay. No, it's like, not that bad. Um, but, um, there, again, there are also like, it can get, you get really complicated because it's how you prep the grains, it's how you prep legumes that makes it more beneficial or maybe not. So there's a lot of details into that, but, um, that's it. In yeah. No, that's great. And like, um, I'm, I'm really happy. We got to talk a lot about this and about core genics because on my episode with Sean, um, which people I recommend, listen, I forget the number, uh, on the episode, but it was a, a a while back, I think episode in the forties, maybe, or, or maybe episode 52. I don't quite remember, but I recommend checking that one out. Um, what is going on with rescue pack as your dog barks? What, what are the, like, we talked yeah. a lot about rescue pack in his, in his episode. So just let's just kind of give us an update on what's going on with the rescue pack um, now and what excites about you about the rescue pack moving forward. Yeah. So he did mention that a lot of talk about rescue pack, which I love because I love rescue pack. Um, so, so what it started out as was, um, us really taking the animals that were less injured and abandoned in these, um, high risk places in Texas. So there are a couple of places that we kind of hyper-focused on where again, I think income, you know, um, within those neighborhoods is, has a lot to do with it because it's hard to take the time to care for animals when you're struggling yourself, you know, to just kind of make ends meet. And so there we find a lot of animals that have been left with like broken bones or bones exposed and, you know, they're dying in the street or they have heartworm disease and they're, you know, inflated from that. Like there's so many health issues that can't be addressed because in those areas, it's just not the biggest concern or the biggest need for that population, which is totally understandable because again, there are other needs. Um, so those were the animals that we were taking in and that we were rehabbing. So we would, you know, help them through the surgery to fix a leg, or we would get them through heartworm treatment. That's how we started. And we've evolved a little bit. So in our time recently, um, where I ended up meeting somebody who introduced me to some people in the homeless camps. And I know it's something Sean and I we're always, we thought about that a lot. You know, you pass by people who are, who are begging, but they have their dog with them and you can't decide, you know, is that, 
is that their way of you know creating more like empathy so that they get more attention and then maybe you do give them a handout or is that their pet that they love and that they need to survive because that's what's kind of holding them together um which also is a big part of why we started this we have a strong belief in and how healing the relationship between like animal and, and person can be because they really help to bring you back to the present and get you out of that whole, you know, worry, anxiety about the things that have happened or might happen. Um, so we really appreciate that about them. But we have recently uh, kind of um, worked on developing relationships with some of those people in those homeless camps so that we could build some trust. Um, and that we could take those dogs and instead of wondering like, what do they have the dog for? We can actually do something and, and offer help for the dog. So we know that a need is always gonna be, you know, um, preventative care. So vaccines and heartworm prevention. Um, so that's what we ended up, or we have been doing recently is we've been connecting with different um, people. And so we don't, you know, we don't do a, too much more with the homeless other than, you know, really help them with their dogs. Um, but because that's such a, I mean, they mean so much to us. And we actually get to see how much it means to them that we do that. And it's really been a surprising experience because I, we've been really fortunate to meet some people who truly, truly love their animals and, and they are such a priority to them. So I have, there's one woman that I have met who will text me and remind me hey, in a week, you know, her heartworm preventative is up, you know, can we can we get on top of that, which I think is awesome, because it's again, it's her being on top of this is as much as she can do is I can make sure that we're on schedule so that you can help me take care of my dog, who is my family. So mm -hmm. that's what taken on recently. And this Wednesday, we'll be taking four or five, we'll confirm whether it's five or not, I think today or tomorrow, but we'll be taking um, four to five dogs who do live in homeless camps out to go get spayed and vaccinated and chipped. Um, and that's important because there's a lot of inbreeding that we want to prevent, you know, a lot of puppies that end up dying because they, they're just out, you know, without any, you know, like, like help to stay healthy. And, and it's a lot of sad stories that we have learned about, but this is part of the preventative that, you know, we can offer. So that's where we're at right now. That's what we're doing is we're still, we're still doing the rescue from the other places as before. But now we've incorporated um, some of the work here locally in Austin with the with the homeless dogs. So. Yeah, that's such a great update. And I'm going to have to have you and Sean back on again, but together. Um, so we can yeah. just discuss more. Because um, I know we don't have much more time. You actually have an adoption um, that you're going to go facilitate with one of your dogs. So it, I'm going to ask uh, the final three questions that I ask all guests. And okay. that's the time now. Um, so through all your adventures, um, your adventures and health and wellness, um, pet rescue and life in general, what has been your greatest life lesson that you've learned so far, Ashley, that you feel called to share with us right now? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think, um, hmm, that's such a good question, but maybe... I think one of the lessons that I have been more aware of recently and have been practicing more recently is that I cannot forget. I think it's easy when you care a lot about something to get lost in helping everybody else and, and focusing on that mission. And it can at times be really easy to forget about, you know, your yourself, at least for me, it has been at points. And so it has been an ongoing for, in, in the more in more recent times, um, a priority of mine to also prioritize myself as we do all of this because it does get very consuming at points. Like especially when you have like five puppies coming at you, and then you have like you know three clients on the side. Um, so, so I think I, I would say I would say that like balance between self and others is such an important thing to practice. Um, and the other way around too, I believe, like I think that it can be really damaging to be so involved with the self that you forget about others because others are such an important part of feeling whole. Like we learn so much from other people um, and that there are support in the hardest times. So without that kind of connection, it's really hard to get through that. Um, but it makes those hard times. It's just so, I think there's such a beautiful thing in connection. So I would say balance between self and others is something that I think I've learned. Yeah. And I 
learning to do. Yeah. That's some great wisdom. Thank you. I, like that, that really resonated. Um, in three words, how would you describe the experience you were having on this earth? Fulfilling and, and exciting um, and really surprising. I feel like I'm always learning something new. Uh, and part of the connection piece is like, there's just so much to know, which keeps it exciting for me. And I think, I think at the end of every day, I just feel like, even if I just did a little bit, I did something and I was, and it was for something that I cared about, you know? And so that's really what matters to me, but those, those. Fulfilling, exciting, surprising. Yeah. And brings, brings us to our final question. I believe we are all magicians and we have the, all, all the ability to transform realities. And I'm going to transport us both into a future reality. I'm going to fast forward time. Um, and we're going to be alongside an 85 year old Ashley Clements. Who is that 85 year old Ashley? Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? And what is the legacy that you've left here on this earth? So my hope is that in that age range, I have, um, I can see myself in a shelter and not so, so basically surrounded by, you know, this part the the, I think the rescue is always going to be a part of, of what we do. Um, and hopefully with different animals, um, I want to be surrounded, you know, by family and, I think Sean and I have been talking recently about how we want that family to include maybe not blood family, but maybe looking into like adoption where we're, you know, really doing more. I, I just see, I just see like lots of family, like, you know, from, from different places. Um, and I see, um, I see it being maybe even more simple than what it is now, you know, like, I think, um, I think a big goal, like we talked about before is, I mean, there's so much that can come from simplicity. And I, our hope is that, you know, while things are really busy now in the future, in the 85, you know, age range, that things are quiet and simple. And I think that that's just, um, that's kind of like the dream life for, for the future. So. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to sit with that 85 year old Ashley, just for a moment longer, um, just really feel what that is to be that 85 year old Ashley and just take real a lot of pride in the woman you, you become and the woman that you are now. And I'm going to bring us back to the present time, the infinite now. And that 85 year old Ashley, she sends you a message. What does she whisper to you? I think it would be maybe the reminders that I'm actively, you know, um, even doing for myself now, but maybe encouragement to keep that up and to, um, to just breathe and look around and like, just be happy to be in this one space, you know, whether there's like a stack of boxes in front of me or like a mountain in front of me, just kind of taking the details because there's so much about them. If you, I think if you let your mind kind of wrap around it all, like it's more than what it seems like at first, if you just kind of sit in just just the right now so, <coughs> it would say keep taking those moments because it's really going to pay off in the end mm -hmm. so well, there's so much great information and wisdom shared on this episode for those listening and they're wanting to connect with you and learn more whether that be um via the work you and sean do with corgenics or the work you all do with rescue pack and anywhere in between where can they find you and what have you guys got going on in the upcoming in the upcoming weeks months yeah probably not yeah. weeks because it's not it's not going to be released for the right. upcoming weeks but yeah where can they find you um so i'm always available by email that's like one of the best ways to reach me which is ashley at corgenicsatx.com or through rescue pack at gmail.com and um and up where else we can be found so july 24th our um uh we had that that breathing and ice back workshop coming or that was coming up sooner but that got pushed back actually so we'll be doing that on july 24th in austin texas um so sign up can be through our website and that or on instagram too but that would just be at corgenics atx.com right on and i'll make sure this episode comes up before then to help promote that uh, great event that you guys have and if I was in Austin, I'd love to go. Maybe I will be in Austin. Who knows of the state of this 
with the state of this world. Um, so right. to, close every, to close every episode, we bring our fists together into the winner circle. Boom. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. And wishing you a beautiful day and happy adoptions you got going on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.